Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. Gear up with your host, Captain Chris Bush, a trophy trout purist, leader and educator within the fishing community, as he talks about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Speckled Truth Podcast. Captain Chris here with another episode, episode 13. Can you believe it? We're in episode 13 of our podcast and quite frankly, doing pretty dang good uh, for our first season. Now, we got a lot of input with regards to, well, a little bit of input, you know, especially with regards to some of the guests that we've had, like Mike McBride, Jay Watkins, Doc Weiss, Doc Wright, and talking more specifically about fishing, like quote unquote fishing. Now, I know we got into some specifics in each of those episodes, but People kind of wanted to hear a little bit more of the actual fishing part and to kind of hear from them, legends, right? How they pick apart a spot, you know, what are they looking for? What's some of the things that they're kind of focused in on when targeting those big fish or some of the things that they throw, some of the uh, tricks, excuse me, and some of the things that they do. But anyway, what I keep telling folks is that this is season one. And our idea is that we want to do this long term, right? And so season two, we want to get into more of those specifics. And so to have it in season one and have those guests in season one, we wanted to showcase one, the amount of reach, the amount of buy-in that we had from guides and anglers across the coast, bigger names, legends, and kind of them focused in and helping us in terms of getting our message out because We're carrying on kind of that legacy, but in season two, that's when we want to really start to kind of dive into a little bit more of those specifics, especially with those experienced anglers and legends of the game across the Gulf Coast. So we still have seven more or six more episodes here in season one, and we still have a lot of really good guests lined up. But the reason I'm solo for this one is honestly, uh, we're getting ready for the mobile boat show. And so we had a couple of, uh, we've, we have a couple in the hopper. I'm not going to lie. So we just actually recorded Mike Bossy from down South Lures and we're getting ready to work on Mr. Mike Blackwood as well as redoing Mike Salinas. We had Michael Salinas from Corpus Christi and honestly, the audio quality wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. And so we had to scrap that, but we're going to basically Go back over there. It gives me an opportunity. It gives me an, an excuse to go and see my brother from another mother, Mike Salinas, in the Corpus area. So anyway, it's going to be a good one. But this one is we are solo. I'm solo. And I wanted to take this opportunity because tomorrow, actually, I'm getting on a plane. And so it's super late here right now in Texas and San Antonio. And I'm actually doing this because I want to kind of use this as a kind of prep one, but also give some of our other listeners who can't necessarily attend the ACFA, so the Alabama Coastal Fishing Association, they have a a meeting tomorrow in Mobile at Moe's Barbecue, and I'm the guest speaker. And so one of the things that I want to talk about was actually the citation data. And so 
with this particular, uh, I, I threw together a set of slides. And so I kind of want to run through the slides as if I was going to brief it or how I'm going to brief it more or less tomorrow to them. But I want to do it to you guys in a podcast. Now, obviously, there are some spreadsheets and there's some things that I've highlighted with regards to the actual citation data in terms of trends and analytics and things along those lines. But really what I want to talk about is basically what we're doing, how we're doing it, and basically why we're doing it. And so that's what I'm going to talk about at the ACFA tomorrow, 630. Can't wait. Huge crowd from my understanding. Never been there. Never done that. And so this is kind of a precursor to the Mobile Boat Show, which is this weekend as well. And so I know for the Houston Fishing Show, I wish I could be there as well, but we can't. And so I'll be at the uh, Mobile Show and the guys and I will be at the Mobile Show. So if you're in the Mobile area on the Gulf Coast, please come by and say, what's up? Okay, so the citation analytics and the citation data that we have in the briefing that I'm going to give to these folks. And so basically, I want to start about what we're doing, right? And so if you're new to the podcast, we have what's called a citation program, more or less, right? And so we have two different types. We have our Dirty 30, which is kind of our more notable one, which is any fish over 30 inches. Basically, you submit all that information. We give you we mail you out a box of tackle as well as the coveted Dirty 30 sticker. And we also felt that a fish that was like 27 inches in Mississippi had pretty much the same analytical data in terms of size of fish, class of fish that we wanted to study. And so we kind of opened the aperture a little bit more across the states. And so from Virginia to Texas, if you catch a 27-inch trout, We'll mail you basically a state sticker. Now you got to provide that fish and pictures on a measuring device. But what um, when you do, I'll mail you a state sticker. So it's a state cutout with the design that we had from Brandon Fenorn. He did a remarkable job in that. And so we mail you that, but we don't mail you the actual box of tackle from our Dirty 30 supporters. You know, so from like Miralore, K Wigglers, Mossy Oak, Truchador clothing, uh, my coast outdoors, pure flats, da, 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 da. egret baits, uh, down south lures, matrix shed, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I could, I could name them all. But what I wanted to do though, is so that's the type of programs we have in the citation programs and the idea. And we get a lot of those questions. What are you going to do with the data? And see, so, you know, the idea is to collect this data over the course of time and see if there are any sort of environmental trends. So why was it in year three, let's say in 2021, we see a lot of fish and citations being registered in a said area or in a state. And then a year or two later, we see a steep decline. Now, is that because an, uh, enough people aren't necessarily participating in the program or was there something environmental going on? And so we want to kind of get after it. And the only way to do that is obviously start collecting data. And so we're doing that now. Now, the other thing is obviously seeing trends with regards to angling ship, you know, and so how do fish feed? When are they feeding? How are some things? And so validating some of the angling trends that we maybe have and some of the ones that we think we know to be true, right? And so kind of testing theory with data and statistics more or less and 
kind of making sure that they are true. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a sec. But anyway, I'm actually really out of breath for some ungodly reason. Maybe it's because it's so early in the morning and I'm dying. I'm like gasping for air, but now I'm actually just kind of excited, man. I'm, I'm really stoked to go give the rest of this briefing. But anyway, so those are the two programs. Now, why we started a citation program in the in the first place was actually because of the hot ditch up in the Northeast coast, right? And so in the Virginia, North Carolina complex, they have citation programs. They still have citation programs. And there was an infamous place called the hot ditch. And it's kind of always been something that's kind of intrigued me to some extent because I never knew fish of that class could really grow to be that big, especially up that far north. And so when the citation program was going and the hot ditch was open and when it was actually a running that kind of warm water, I think it's from like a, a plant or something like that. So it's kind of basically warm water discharge and it gave these fish a re- like basically a place to go when it was super cold to kind of survive winters. And you had a remarkable class of fish kind of surviving year to year, but obviously the anglers knew that as well, but the fish that were coming out of there were just enormous. And so one of the things that they had was a citation program. They published these and across the years I was seeing like, I think before it shut down, I did an actual kind of Facebook live on this. And if I remember right, cause this is back in 2017, I think I did this actual Facebook live, but <clears throat> They had 130 state citations registered. It was like seven pages long. It was really a lot of fish. Twenty, I think it's 24, 25 inches and, and above. But of those like 130, they had like close to 60 fish, 50 or 60 fish that were 30 plus inches. And one was like 34 inches and just like 12, 11 and a half, 12 pounds or something like that. And so just an enormous class of fish that exists. Well, what happened is, is that the hot ditch shut out or shut down and then they had a really strong winter pop up that winter. And then not only that, they also had some gill netters and poaching in that fishery. And so what happened is, is it went from like 130 citations one year to pretty much, I think it was close to 20, 25 max the following year. So we saw an environmental decline. We saw how a commercial fishery could have an impact. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if it's really even kind of fully recovered, if at all, up in that area. So I'd I'd be interested to hear from my Northeast followers from the Virginia and North Carolina complexes, if your fishery has kind of come back to what it used to, or a fraction of what it used to be, right? And so that's kind of why we started the citation program was to kind of get after that a little bit because who knows if that's going to happen in Texas or if that's going to happen in Florida or things along those lines, right? And so unless you start collecting the data from state to state, you really don't have kind of a baseline to see from year to year what's going on in a fishery. And so to kind of highlight my point a little bit, I took a look at last year's citation data, kind of about where we're at this time in the program last year. And so 
give me a sec. Let me find this for a sec. But okay, so total citations, trophy trout citations across the nine states from pretty much October through the end of January was is 72 this year. Last year at the same time, so the same amount of time, so that's four full months, it was 49. Now, dirty 30s across the different states this year, again, over four months was is 19. And in last year, there was nine. And so that's a pretty big deal. One, it, it kind of gives me faith that we're just kind of reaching more. And so the program's kind of growing, which is what we want it to do. And so the more data we can collect year to year to year is obviously beneficial because we'll start to see those trends get a little bit tighter and tighter. But with regards to the actual seeing if a fishery is seeing a peak or decline, the more we build the data just in general, then we'll start to kind of see some trends. So really, I, I always use Texas in the talks that I give talking about the citation data because it is, uh, it's a lot. It's actually a lot of site or a lot of entries across the actual year. And so what you see is kind of trend from season to season. So from fall, winter, spring, and summer, and then not only that across the coast. And so I'll kind of run you through that here in just a sec. But the first thing, all right, so that was the citation program, why we have the citation program, why it exists. All right, so that's kind of what we do. All right, now, so kind of how are we doing it? And so, again, we're mailing, we're kind of getting angler influence and kind of getting angler participation. You guys that are listening out there, if you catch one of those fish, you submit it. And then now we have an entry into our program. And so what we're doing is, is starting to group these citations into a spreadsheet created pivot tables by Connor Snoga here in San Antonio. He's a data scientist. And so he has a really large brain. I don't. And he understands Excel and pivot tables and all these different things. And so I don't. Again, he's super smart. I'm dumb, which we've kind of already known <laughs> anyway. But he's created a lot of pivot tables and he's created a lot of graphs and and things of that nature. And so it kind of helps pictorially kind of depict what you're trying to, to, to kind of talk about or communicate. And so the first one we wanted to talk about, though, was really kind of season and moon phase. And so the first thing is I always hear, and I've talked about this on a couple of different podcasts, was my dad growing up, he always said, the best time, son, to catch a big trout is five days before the full moon. I wrote an article about this in Louisiana Sportsman. I claim it to be true, right? I claimed it to be true growing up because my dad said it. And so what he said was gospel. And so I took it as such, right? Now, the data here that we have is from our trophy trout citations, again, in the state of Texas, because we can see the trends from year to or season to season. And with a full year, we had 174 trophy trout citations registered in the state of Texas last year, 174 27 inch trout or above up to 30s. This doesn't include the dirty 30s. And so what we found is, is that inside plus or minus, all right, so the full and the new moon plus or minus three days. So three days before the full, the full moon, and then three days after the full, and the same for the new moon, three days before a new, 
the actual new moon three days post. And so really what you have is like 12 days out of a 30 day month, right? Which is less than half. And so what we see is that 55% of the citations that were registered, again, 174, 55% of them were actually caught inside plus or minus three days of either of those big, big moons, new or full. Now, the other ones outside plus or minus three is 18 days roughly of the month. Did I do that right? (laughs) I'm not smart. 18 days of the rest of the month, right? And so uh, what we're seeing is obviously 45%. So there's two things that you can kind of take away from that is that one, yes, statistically, not by much. I actually thought it would be higher uh, initially. I actually thought it, it would be higher than 55% inside. I thought it'd be actually grouped a little bit tighter, but it isn't. Having said that, it is still higher. And so statistically, going back to Doc J. Wright in his discussion, in his podcast, which is really him saying when he's chasing world-class fish, you want to push put every odd in your favor. So even if it's a 10% or 5% uh, swing, it's still giving you a better chance. And so you also have to think about it. There's That's just less days. Now, if we open the aperture plus or minus four days, might get a little bit different, might get a little bit more skewed, you know? And so, but we kept it kind of really tight to the moon phases because we feel that a lot of those fish or the notion was that a lot of those fish are caught right before or after those those big moon phases. Now, here's the deal. I actually thought the new moon is actually more productive. I thought the new moon was more productive. And in, 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 to be honest with you, of the 95 that were actually inside, plus or minus those that new and full, it was almost about even. We had 48 on the new moon. We had 47 on the full moon. So almost 50%, almost dead even. So really, there's no indication in terms of what moon phase is kind of better, statistically speaking, right? At least for now. And that's where I go back to the data sets really immature. And the more data you can get over the course of time, those trends might start to delineate a little bit differently. Or we might see that trend hold true over the course of five years, right? And so now we're seeing, well, maybe moon phase isn't that big of a deal right? Or the new moon isn't better than the full. So we don't know. So again, until until we start actually kind of collecting the data long-term, that's really the biggest deal. So, all right. So the outside the new moon were 79. 79 of the 174 were registered uh, outside plus or minus those three days on the new or the full moon. And so that was, the average length was pretty cool. The average length for both of them was 29 inches. And this is in the state of Texas. The average length, that's crazy. So a lot of really, really big fish. It's pretty cool. All right. So, um, what was it going? Okay. So, yeah, with regards to those moon phases. So, one, statistically, you have a better chance, obviously, inside those days. But I'll also, and this is key, this is key. Uh, Mr. Joey Landrino from Slick Lore, his slogan is can't catch him on the sofa. And that is 100% true. The fact that these fish are caught pretty consistently throughout the course of a month 
Now there are different, there are days that are better statistically speaking than others, but for the most part, if you're within those days, you have, have a chance. Having said that, if you got it, if you can go fishing and the weather is quasi decent or it looks to be something, uh, don't always go. Do not not go, if that makes any sense, because you cannot catch them on the sofa. Case in point, again, I'll always go back to the 30 inch trout I caught in September with my son was on September 2nd. And so lunar wise, it was actually a number two. Like the Salooner rating was just absolutely abysmal. It was the, it was literally the worst day in the month. Now I would have claimed that to be true because when we started fishing that morning, the bite was just awful. And so until I finally switched over to a Ned rig and really started to focus on catching at least something, uh, even smaller fish uh, on a secondary ledge, that's when I started kind of starting to catch a few fish. And then few fish led to more fish. I even put my son a little Ned rig on. He started catching a few. And so that bite started to pick up and then sure as shit caught a 30 inch trout. So they have those anomalies, right? So, um, can't catch them on a sofa. So two things, one over the course of time and data has actually my own personal data. And not uh, aside from that, the actual citation data would claim that statistically you have a better chance inside those days. And so if you're looking to just stack the odds and you can cherry pick those days in which you do want to go, which I'll get to here in a second, try to go within that window. But if you have no other choice and you got to go on like a Wednesday because you have off from work or your wife's uh, going to visit her mom and she has the kids and you want to take that time to go fishing, go for it, right? Always go fishing. So that's what I want to think I want to talk about there. All right, so the next thing, though, is pretty cool. I've talked a little bit about this on the actual site and talking about actual lures by or lure type by season. And so I love this one because season is really cool. What we see across, so fall, winter, spring, and summer, if you can't, fall is October through December, January through March, April through June, July through September. That's the different moon or that's the different seasons. And so we kind of categorize them into soft plastic, suspending, top water, live bait, and in somewhat of like a hybrid, like a wake bait or swim bait or a glide bait or something along those lines. And so there were, there were only two of those, but we couldn't categorize them as like anything else. And so we just kind of threw them there. And what we found is that in the fall, Soft plastic was 14, suspending was 12, top water was 9, live bait was 2. In the winter, soft plastic was 11, suspending, which would be fat boys, softing XLs, double Ds, things of that nature, was 30. Was 30. Top water was 5, live bait was 1, wake bait was 1, so like a glide bait. Spring, soft plastic goes up to 33. Almost the inverse. So soft plastic goes from 11 to 33. Suspend style baits go from 30 to 7. And top water jumps back up to 10. And then lastly, summer, soft plastic stays at like pretty pretty average 17. Suspending goes down to 2. And then top water stays at like 6. And then live bait goes up to 10. So what we're seeing is angling method stay pretty pretty 
pretty consistent, right? So we always thought that live bait works better in the summertime. Well, statistically, it's saying that is the case. But the talking point here is how winter and spring basically invert um, the angling method of choice. So there's two, again, kind of lines of thought here as well, is that in the wintertime, suspend style baits, Corgi Fat Boy, Softeen XLs, etc., goes 30. So 30 of the 48 that were caught in the winter came on those style baits. Okay. Spring, 33 soft plastics of the 54, uh, 33 of the 54 came on soft plastics. I'd like to take a small break to sincerely thank our podcast sponsors. As you know, we're a brand about sharing the passion and pursuit of trophy speckled trout as well as our conservation. Fortunately for us, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky support that same passion, which is evident through the support of this podcast. Simply put, without these brands, none of this will be possible. And we're incredibly appreciative, and we hope you are too. Now, let's get back to the discussion. Now, there's, again, those two lines of thought. The first is that in the wintertime, um, there's two things happening. Either anglers are choosing to throw something that is Texas-born, corky fat boys. There's, you know, it's corky season. We always hear that. And so it, it, it's in every Wade Fisherman's box, this, that, and the other thing. And so it's almost like Louisiana. If you if you ever fish the coastal part of Louisiana, You'll see a boat back down off the skids and you'll see six rods and rod holders and all of them have popping corks. And it's kind of the same thing here in Texas, right? Like every rod is laced with a corky, maybe one with like a DSL or a K wiggler or something like that. But for the most part, all of them have, have a corky fat boy. And so anglers are choosing to throw corky fat boys or we're actually seeing a shift. We're physically seeing a shift in statistical data of that these fish now shifting their diet to something larger in profile, something a little bit more sluggish, a little bit more clumsy, things along those lines, as opposed to the spring, which it jumps way up in soft plastics and way down in, uh, in suspense style baits. And that could be because we had the spawn and all of a sudden we're starting to see small fingerlings and small fin fish and small shrimp in a fishery things with a lot more action, with a lot more darting, you know, uh, flash, you know, just things that are very, very quick. And so maybe those fish are wanting to consume much smaller meals more often. And so soft plastics afford that, right? They give you a smaller profile. They give you a lot more action. One, they're easier to throw. So maybe more people are coming back to fish into a fishery because they were deer hunting all year and duck hunting and stuff like that. So so we're starting to see a little bit of that. But the one consistent one was actually soft plastics across all four seasons. And so what I take away from that is if I'm looking to increase my odds fishing inside or outside or inside plus or minus those new and full moons during the winter time. I'm going to go, okay, I'm probably going to throw something larger in profile or something like a fat boy or soft XL and stuff like that, especially here in the Texas coast, because it works. 
on the spring, I'd probably go, well, I'll probably throw a few more tails and less of those and probably increase my top water intake as well. So I'm going to throw more top waters because again, the, the data is kind of lending itself to that. So we could either see a no kidding true shift in dietary, um, uh, want from the fish. And that's why anglers are throwing them or anglers are throwing them because of experience or coming back into a fishery and kind of that's what they're doing. So I think there's a mix of two. I'd, I'd be really interested to see this over the course of time and whether or not this trend holds true. All right. So the next is I think pretty cool location by lure type. <clears throat> and so upper middle, upper Laguna, upper coast, upper Laguna Madre, I'm sorry, upper coast, middle coast. Upper Laguna Madre, Lower Laguna Madre, suspense style baits in the middle coast are 28 and Upper Laguna Madre was 15. And so soft plastics in the middle coast and soft plastics in the Upper Laguna Madre. So middle coast would be East Matagorda Bay, Upper Laguna Madre would be Corpus at Baffin. Uh, it was 22 soft plastics for middle coast, 21 for Upper Laguna Madre. The reason I bring both of those up is because those two regions, those two portions of the Texas coast had the highest registered citations of the whole coast. So here's here's the breakout by the coast. So upper coast had a total of 20 citations registered last year. The middle coast had 75. The upper Laguna Madre had 42 and lower Laguna Madre had 37 for that total of 174. Now, I want to talk about a few things here. The upper coast had 20. So what happened <laughs> in the upper coast recently or what was different in the upper coast that was different from all the rest of the coast? Well, this year it actually went down to a five fish limit. So I'm anxious to really see over the course of time. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. All I'm saying is that there was one portion of the coast that had a higher creel limit than the other portion of the coast. And it just so happens that higher, that part of the coast that had a higher creel limit had less trophy fish, quote unquote, trophy fish registered in a citation program. Or that could be, which I also think there's a tremendous amount of validity here as well, is that salinity. Salinity is huge to a big trout fishery. If you don't think so, Look at the upper coast because upper coast has been ravaged year after year by heavy rains. Toledo Ben Open and Sabine, uh, Harvey, holy crap, Harvey, and things of that nature. So we've had some environmental anomalies up in that upper coast area to really impact that Galveston, Sabine, kind of Port Arthur area. And so are we seeing the effects of a lower salinity fishery with a higher creel limit and just less trophy fish? I don't know. We'll see over the course of time. Again, that's what's really interesting about this uh, citation data. All right, Upper Laguna Madre, I'm going to skip Middle Coast here because I want to end on that one. But Upper Laguna Madre uh, had 42, which would be about right. You know, that's pretty average, especially with regards to Lower Laguna Madre at 37. So they're about the same, which is pretty good. I'm anxious to see what they kind of average out to this year, especially since we're almost double what we were last year at this time. So let's see, Texas this year through four months was 43. So we had 43 registered in four months 
last year it was 38 at this time. So that's pretty, you know, not too, too far off, but on the same token is it's about keeping pace. So I'm anxious to see if that breakout is the same. All right. So 20 on the upper coast, 42 in the Baffin complex, upper Laguna Madre, Corpus area, and then 37 in Mansfield, lower Laguna Madre. 75, holy crap, 75 in the middle coast, East Matagorda Bay. All right, so immediately I, I go, okay, why is it double everywhere else on the Texas coast in East Matagorda Bay? So I started kind of looking around. Um, I'm nosy. <laughs> so I start, start kind of looking around a little bit. and Because, man, that's just crazy. 20, 75, 42, and 37. What the hell is going on in East Matagorda Bay? Turns out I found an actual article, and it was Texas Parks and Wildlife in 2013 started actually stocking speckled trout fingerlings across the tech well let me phrase that they started stocking the texas coast with speckled trout to the tune of six million over the course of four years and guess where east matagorda bay literally i mean it, it actually says that i'll actually have to post that to the page it actually has the breakout year by year and it it's like 5.9 million trout fingerlings into the matagorda complex so the next question I immediately ask is go, okay, well, is that sustainable, right? Because we just talked to Angelos on the podcast. And so he was saying that the reason they do hatcheries management and things along those lines is to give a fishery a bump, right? To, to kind of get back on track. And so did TPWD do that? And are we seeing the effects of that? Because we know talking with Doc Weiss in his podcast and his participation in trout watchers with Gerald Horst is that those fish, especially those genetic freak fish that reach 25 inches in three years, well, guess what? It's 2019, 2020. If they started stocking fish in 2013, even if, even if they're a little slow, that caliber of fish is going to be about right now. So are we going to see an artificial spike in the East Matagorda complex? That remains to be seen. Having said that, I'd also be super interested too, is if we are seeing the high catches and registration into the citation program, are we going to start seeing um, anglers having an impact, right? Catch and release in croaker, even shoot, even in the wintertime fishery, right? With lures. I mean, are we going to start seeing more take, kind of take, literally take out of the fishery and are we going to see see the decline in the amount of fish that we have registered in the Matagorda complex. That's not going to happen in one year. That's going to happen over the course of time. And hopefully we get the same amount of participation uh, from that region. Right. And so that's huge. So that's what the data does. Right. And that's why it's super interesting to kind of start to dissect a little bit of this is because now we can maybe start asking some questions. We can maybe start using this data from a, cons a conservation perspective of maybe taking a look at see if if we can manage our fishery uh, if for no other reason if tpwd is introducing six million fingerlings over the course of what i said four or five years from 2013 to 2017 or 18 um i would take it as 
no kidding, man. Like the, the state can actually grow a trophy trout fishery. They did it in one complex. So if Baffin's hurting or we're affected by brown tide or we're seeing low numbers, et cetera, et cetera, does TPWD open the wickets a little bit and say, hey, uh, we need to start, you know, introducing uh, uh, fingerlings to other parts of the fishery. And we, at least I would feel that we know that it works, right? Um, Because we're seeing maybe a little bit of a bump. Now, the crappy part is, is I don't have two or three years of previous data to say that, yeah, we are seeing a little bit of a spike, but now we, at least we know if it's 75, understanding that they started introducing in 2013, if it's 2022 and we see that number decline, are we starting to see that trend kind of settle back to a normal state? We'll see. We'll see. That's, again, it goes back to participation in the programs and the the data that we're capturing. All right. So, um, I have also two on here. This is pretty interesting only because I I kept these two slides and I know you can't necessarily see them. And so I won't go into great detail, but the idea is kind of the state citation catch by lore type. So state citation catch by lore type. So just in the state of Texas, the highest, the highest registered lore that had the, the, the most amount of citations is the Corky Fat Boy. The Corky Fat Boy. Now, the, the second most uh, producer of citation fish, fish, excuse me, across the state of Texas, across all seasons, is actually a topwater. The next is actually pretty interesting. And it's the uh, down south lure and a K Wiggler and followed by a saltwater assassin. And so really you're starting to see three soft plastics and pretty interesting soft plastics too. And I've talked to Mike Bossy a little bit about, uh, action, if you will. And if there's too much action, especially in winter versus spring, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea is that we're seeing across the Texas coast, quirky fat boys being highest down South floors, K Wiggler, saltwater assassin from the soft plastic perspective, and then top water bringing in a hard, uh, second with close to 18 uh, fish being registered on on top waters. Now here's a the next slide is pretty cool because I then took all the dirty 30 citation catch by lore type and that is all the North Carolina numbers, the Alabama, Florida, South Carolina and let's say North Carolina North Carolina. So that was 86 in total. That was 86 in total, and it's almost a mirror image of the previous graph. So it's kind of like a bar graph. And so what you then see is live croaker takes a huge, huge spike as well as live shrimp. But soft plastic is uh, also way up there. And in DSL and K Wigglers were also way up there. Now, here's something super interesting is that when you start to take a look at the dirty 30 citation catch by lore type top waters actually eclipse the corky fat boy so across fisheries from north carolina or virginia all the way to texas the the most productive bait for catching a big trout or the most or the the most big trout that were registered on a certain lore were actually on a top water that's probably not um, 
that's probably not uh, shocking to a lot of people maybe listening in because we know, man, the there's tremendous upside to fishing with a topwater bait, especially big topwaters, super spooks, you know, one knockers, big, you know, original size top dogs or, or big size skitter walks. We just find that there's definitely something more predatory with regards to a big, big trout, 30 inches or above. And them really wanting to eat something super large in profile in the upper part of the water column. And so that's just something of kind of note there. So I thought that was pretty cool because it captured all of the states. And with all of the states, you start to see kind of top water kind of take over the corky fat boy. And it's cool because you can see even in the uh, actually all of the trout registered on a fat boy i'm looking at it now or obviously registered in the state of texas let's see yeah florida soft plastic florida was high now here here's a pretty cool one the 17 mr which is the regular size miradine from miralore in florida and north carolina that was close to five or six fish and it was about even so it shows on an east coast Maybe with a smaller bait presence or a bait profile, they're still catching big fish in those little bitty baits. So that was something pretty interesting. But how it's kind of a kind of a regional thing, if you will, kind of like an East Coast versus the Corky Fat Boy being purely a Texas lore. So, all right. So that's basically what we did or what we're doing with regards to the citation data, and then. I've told you kind of how we're doing it, capturing it, putting it in the pivot tables. Now we've kind of talked a little bit about some of that. I want to talk about why. And uh, folks who've heard my my talks before, um, I actually I throw a picture of my dad up there, and I ask folks, I'm like, okay, why why do we do this? Why are we collecting all this data? And so. Before I get into it, I ask people, what do you see? What do you see on that slide? And it's a picture of my dad. He's holding a big trout. And so what most people see is, oh, it's an old man, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, I'm like, yes, it is a pretty old man, but man, he's, he's young at heart, brother. Uh, 74, 75 years old. I think he's 74. Wading with the, heart, with the best of a man. With a little limp, replaced tip, everything else. Anyway. Uh, I ask him, you know, what else do you see? Obviously he's smiling. He's holding a 28 inch fish and uh, people go, Oh man, he's smiling. You know, he's got a great smile. Um, he also, um, he's older, right? He's older. He's obviously not old, but he's older. He's wade fishing. Okay. He caught it on a jerk bait, this, that, and the other thing. And so I, the reason I ask him what they see is because what I, and then I, I tell him what I see. What I see in that picture is a dad who loves his son. A dad who loves his son. Who drove, woke up early in the morning, left his house in New Orleans, drove with me to fish with me on really for my birthday. This is two years ago now. But he came to fish with me on the Texas coast to be with me. Dude, we used to fish 120 days a year. We don't fish too, but he fat, he, as old as he is and he, <laughs> he can't see, <laughs> he woke his ass up, man, three in the morning 
to drive over here to Texas so we can make an afternoon wade. And so when I saw him, you know, in Corpus, met at a Valero gas station, shook his hand. How you doing, son? You know, so I, I remember all these things. I had to put on his boots on his waders. He can't even freaking bend over anymore. So I have to tie his shoes. You know, I'm like his dad now. I'm like his dad. What he used to do for me, I'm doing for him. And we get out there. It's a wind, kind of a windier day, but that it was, basically what was going on is that wind would settle. And I'd been on a really good bite with jerk baits and stuff like that, catching some really good quality fish. And uh, to that time, his biggest fish was actually caught with with Mike McBride, myself, down in the lower Laguna Madre. It was a seven pound fish, right at like 27 and a quarter. And he wanted to top that. And so, sure enough, man, we hear some bait kind of flipping, working a stretch. He's actually fishing pretty skinny for a shadow wrap which actually fishes pretty deep. So um, all of a sudden, boom, he gets lit up. He looks to my right or looks to his right. I look to my left. Rod's screaming, you know, drag peeling. He, You could see he's getting excited. The fish actually didn't come up, just basically hit, kind of took off, took a long strip of drag. He's like, oh, son, oh, son. And so what I did is I reeled in my line real quick, put it on the uh, – the guide put it in my belt and then uh, all of a sudden man this freaking huge trout comes up shakes her head and he loses it he absolutely loses it so i mean you could hear the quiver in his voice he's he's getting all excited and like he's almost like dancing like he's got like something in his shoes like gravel or something he's just super uncomfortable and he's so nervous and i can hear him he's already a guy, he smoked for 30 years, man. And so he he's he's on borrowed time, I'm not going to lie. Uh, he ran 13 marathons. He has a really unique life where he went from one extreme to the other. He's very impulsive. But um, the court, his life is catching up to him, right? And so he can barely breathe. And so he str- I can hear him kind of struggling, man. He's out of breath. He's just so excited to see this fish. And he's fighting and, you know, he doesn't throw a whole lot of spinning reels and we're throwing spinning reels because that's what I've been throwing jerk baits on. And so he's a little clumsy, but on the same token is he hasn't forgotten how to fish a spinning reel. I mean, a guy's caught 30,000 trout in freaking five years. He knows what he's doing. So he's just doing it, man. And, and the whole time I got my arm around him, left arm around his shoulders. All right, pops, you're going to do this, buddy. Come on. We're going to land this fish. Just kind of keeping him up. I got my boga grip, my right hand. He's nervous. Fish comes close. All of a sudden, she starts stripping another set of drag. And um, she starts to turn back to me. He's, again, come on, son. Come on, come on. So I get her close. Get that boga right in her mouth. Like, perfect shot, man. Didn't miss. Like it was meant to be. Goes right in there. Pull up on a boga. She starts, obviously, doing like her gator roll and kind of slashing around. And he loses it, man. He He is like elated he's just so excited man for he's just so excited and i'm i'm so excited for him man i gave him that moment two were the only two knuckleheads out there it's a freaking tuesday or some shit like that and so we're we're hugging each other man like seriously because it's an emotional moment between a father and a son and so and I know he he woke up to come drive with me or to come drive the fish with me 
And I gave him something, his biggest trout ever. And it's a love for a father and a son and a love for a father and son in the fishery. And that's what I see in that freaking picture. What I don't see is a bag of fillets. And that's what we're about, man, here at Speckle Truth is that, dude, look, you can take what you need and release the rest. We're all about that. But if you're launching a freaking boat to go load the damn ice chest just so you can take a picture of 10 gallon bags of fillets, you lost sight of really why you're launching a boat. Because that's what it's about, bro. It's about the experience, about being with family, about being with friends, about being a better angler and challenging yourself to go and target these fish. That's why I study them freaking to no end because I cannot wait to see that next giant head shake. Even if I fish for six friggin' hours without getting a bite, I still mentally picture it in my brain because it's seared my memory that I'll never forget it. And that, that is what's in that picture, not a freaking bag of fillets. So I tell people, man, that's what we're about. That's why we do it. And so that's why we appreciate the support for folks in our um, in our citation programs, man. Is that, honestly, that's what it's all about. So, the more we can study, the more we know. And the more we know, the better we can safeguard. So, oh, dude, I get fired up. I got goosebumps, man. I'm sorry. It's freaking what? <laughs> it's like two... It was it's three three twenty three in the morning. I gotta leave in like an hour to go catch a flight to go do this ACFA talk here in Mobile. So my flight will land at like eleven thirty. But honestly, I haven't had a cup of coffee and I'm I'm wired tight, man. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I want to go fishing. I don't want to go get on a plane. Anyway, all right. So hopefully, this has been a pretty good episode. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of got a little long winded there, but I love it, man. And I wanted to give you guys an idea of what we're doing, how we're doing it, and why we're doing it. Because I think that's important and it gets lost in translation, especially with all the stuff that we post on social media. So I wanted you to hear it from the horse's mouth, and that's me. All right, so um, I'm going to wrap it up there because we got a lot of really good guests coming up on a, basically the, the home stretch of season one. We got a really, really huge lineup super stoked about our lineup man and so just stick with this really appreciate it all the support we just reached thirty-one thousand downloads <laughs> that surpassed what i thought we would have in the year by eleven thousand already and we still have what seven more episodes left to go so thanks for all the support share it leave a review uh rate us that helps right i think with all that analytics and podcast shenanigans whatever it is but I, it doesn't hurt honestly i read the feedback and i like it because some of it's really constructive and although it kind of hurts a little bit constructive feedback is good because it makes you better and so leave us a review um be kind <laughs> but anyway all right so i'll quit talking again these podcasts cannot be done without the support of our podcast sponsors so I got to always give a shout out, man, to Mossy Oak Fishing, Mirror Lure, Mr. Lowell at Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky for all their support. Because again, they're financially supporting this podcast and without their support, man, it doesn't happen. So show them some love, 
support their company, support their businesses because they support us and they support conservation. So, all right, guys. So until next time, tight lines. God bless. I got to go get on a plane. But always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless.